You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Good morning, welcome to the show. It is Wednesday, July the 6th. It's cloudy grey overcast, but warm here in TW11 today. Clouds expected to burn off and temperatures set to get up into the, the mid-20s or high 70s, low 80s if you're listening in, in the US or, or elsewhere. Anyway, we are set for a flaming July festival uh, on the July course at Newmarket. The big race, the Dali July Cup. Big favourite is Perfect Power. The big question was whether... He would be going to this race and following up his, his victory in the Commonwealth Cup or going to the Prix Jean Prat on Sunday. Now, last night in an interview with The Sporting Life, Richard Farr, he confirmed that he would go to the July Cup and he explains to me why in a few moments' time. I'll also be hearing from trainer Ed Walker, who's looking to Primo Baccio to rather get her career back on track, having looked a rather unlucky loser in last year's foul mistake she takes on Inspiral. And of course, yesterday you heard that Frankie Dottori would be back on Inspiral. More on all of that later in the company of Jane Mangan, who also has her thoughts on the British Horse Racing Authority's decision to overturn Rab Havlin's controversial ban from Haydock Park on Saturday without the need for the jockey going to appeal. That has certainly set tongues wagging. But as I speak to you, The British government appears to be in some form of collapse. Two senior cabinet ministers resigning yesterday and two more ministers while recording this podcast have uh, have resigned as well. And the question for, for us and the reason why we need to talk about it is how is this going to impact upon the gambling review and the appearance or otherwise of the white paper that we spoke about extensively in the podcast last week and that we expected within the next few days, if not in the next few days, at least next week and before the parliamentary recess on July the 22nd. Gambling analyst and professional punter and political pundit Neil Channing is with me now. Uh, Neil, we know what you make of this. It's looking a complete shambles and Boris Johnson might be gone by the end of the day that things are moving so fast. But how is this going to impact upon the uh, upon the white paper? Is it going to have a big impact? Well, definitely it has an effect because... Uh, you know, Johnson is weakened. He's, he's, his uh, departure coming in 2022 uh, was trading at five to two just before the by-elections, six to four just after them. Uh, even money uh, yesterday morning, uh, four to what was it, four to nine after um, Sajid Javid resigned, and ten to one on after Rishi Sunak resigned, it's drifted back to kind of uh, 2 to 11 now. But, um, you know, and to leave before the Tory conference was trading at uh, 2 to 13. It's more like 3 on now. So obviously he's in a spot where he just can't afford to lose any more allies. He's clinging on. Uh, I don't think specifically on those characters. I mean, I think Steve Barclay is on the right of the Tory party, you know, more of a kind of libertarian fundamentalist free markets guy. Uh, but, I don't, you know, although I agree that Nadim Zohawi is that kind of guy, uh, he's no more that kind of guy than Rishi Sunak was. It's just that, uh, you know, Johnson is so weakened that I feel like he, he just can't do anything to rock the boat. Um, you know, there's also Rhys Mogg who has come out publicly and spoken against affordability checks. 
Uh, now, Rhys Mogg, you know, is not in a kind of senior position of government, but he's, a, he's quite a staunch uh, Johnson ally. And, you know, if a staunch Johnson ally uh, gets upset at the moment, that's really bad news for Johnson. Uh, the, the parliamentary recess is the 20 se- 22nd is their first day of summer, uh, of July. So there isn't very long now. And given that we sort of thought that the white paper would come out this week, I, I feel like it's not going to. I, I, I'm well, going to call by his absence of all, in all of this is Chris Phil. Well, I was going to... I was going to ask you, is there any possibility that Philp's thinking, well, hang on a minute, there's two, there's two ways this chaos is going to work. Either this chaos is just going to disrupt everything and we're looking at this in the long grass, or I'm going to have to get this through, which we know he wants to, and hope that I can get it through. I'm, I, I hope that I'm going to be able to get it through while the number 10's looking in the other direction because they're so distracted. Sure. I, I think you're right. He, he definitely wants to get it through. It's a bad black mark on his career if after all this time of working on the gambling review, he doesn't get anything done. Uh, just quickly looking at his Twitter, I've noticed he's been a bit absent, and I, I hadn't looked at his Twitter for a while. He, he did two tweets on the 1st of July. Once was about a, a, a local council election in his uh, ward and once in his uh, constituency, and once was... Uh, a, a thing about uh, a, a visit that he went on. So he, he, he literally hasn't done a supportive tweet. He's not even mentioned anything to do with Johnson. I mean, he's seen as a Johnson loyalist. So I don't. I don't think Chris Phillips going to quit uh, in order to avoid getting the gambling. You know, to get rid of this poison chalice of being in charge of the gambling review. I think he's much more likely to think, "Yeah, I'd like to get it done." Uh, but getting it done means you, you have the politically messy thing about affordability checks. And, and we spoke before about, you know, this possible uh, idea that might have come to him that you could put all the other stuff through and, and basically throw back the affordability checks to the Gambling Commission and give them responsibility for it uh, or tell them to, you know, go away and look at it again and we'll review that in another six months or something. I mean, I guess that's possible. But now we are really running out of time. You know, it's uh, it's only a couple of weeks until uh, the recess. Uh, it is starting to look a lot more likely. I, I did speak to a couple of people last night, quite senior in the industry, uh, and, and they said to me, you know, it, it's not going to happen now before the summer. I, I, I don't know. I think that's... I, I don't know what to think about that. I, I thought in my mind that feels like a 50-50, but I don't, I'm not really sure. Political analyst and professional punter Neil Channing there. None of us really any the wiser as to exactly when this white paper will appear, but clearly the events of yesterday have not exactly helped it along its way. And such a fast-evolving situation, it could easily be out of date by the time you listen to this. What is slightly more concrete is that Perfect Power, the leading three-year-old sprinter of this season in Europe, will run in England on Saturday in the Dali July Cup at Newmarket in preference to the Prigent Prat in France on Sunday. Here's trainer Richard Fahey has been explaining why. Yeah, look, we spoke to the whole team, Bruce, uh, Philip, uh, all the lads, and Sheikh Rashid, and we're, we're going to the July Cup. And the coward, coward's way was probably to go to France. Sheikh would look an easy race, and this, that, and really, but we, uh, we, we think we've got a special horse, so let's, let's take on the, the big boys and take on the older horse and see what happens, you know. And, and to what extent was the fact that Christophe Soumillon wouldn't have been able to ride... Uh, on Sunday in the Prix Jean Bright, to what extent was that a deciding factor? 
big one for me. Um, you know, Christopher loves the horse and gets on great with him, and uh, they have a great rapport. And we've had a long chat with Christopher about it now, and this, that, and the other. And he's an absolute true professional now. He went through the pros and cons, knowing he couldn't ride him on Sunday, but but this is the decision we've made, and we're going to stick to it. And we're very pleased to be to be run on Saturday. Obviously, this is the first time taking on older horses. Just taking one step back and looking at the the race as a whole, how do you assess the the three year olds on what you've seen, and and how do you assess the the elders that they're going to be facing this time? Um, personally, I'm probably a bit biased, but I do feel that, that this guy is uh, special. So uh, you know, I'm quite happy to take on the older boys. Um, he got a good good weight allowance, and uh, he's in great form. And uh, let's let's hope for me that the, the three year olds are the are the better the better crop, you know. Uh, I mean, it was quite interesting to me that you were still thinking of having a go uh, at a seven furlong race, and he hit the line very hard over that stiff six at at Ascot. Does that mean that you think he will be less convenienced by a much faster, sharper six of the July course? That in 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 theory is is where me me worry was hundred uh, percent. Uh, I think two seconds uh, faster on the July course than we are at Ascot, which is sort of between ten and twelve lengths. So he, he's got to he's got to run ten or twelve lengths quicker. But look, he's not a slow horse, but he's a slow horse that stays well. Uh, sorry, he's a fast horse that stays well. You know. Um, so in my mind, what's his best trip? Six or seven. Um, we, we've always got out in our arm. He's always hitting the line very, very strong. But he does travel, and Crystal rides him with loads of confidence. And he's, he's no doubt that we'll be able to sit, sit in, the, in the, the July Cup because um, that's probably what we're going to have to do, you know. So he's he's not worried about about anything. So if he's not worried, I'm not worried. So we're all, we're all happy. I think I was making it complicated and <laughs> just worrying and trying to keep him undefeated. Uh, as, 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 as he goes through the season, you know. And and you said earlier in the week that you wanted them to sh- keep shoveling the water on at, at Newmarket. To what extent is that a, a concern? It's it's not 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 the ground, just to slow the race down, you know. Uh, so it's not just all blistering speed on on fast ground, you know. I'm I'm being greedy. I want me cake and eat it. So uh, you know, I'm I'm not worried about the ground. He goes on fast ground, and he's won on it loads of times. But uh, just when you've got a, a horse like this, you you try and try and not get him beat, if that makes sense. So, uh, uh, you know, Frankie, I think I spoke to Frankie yesterday. He rode on the track on Monday there, and he said it was absolute beautiful ground. So, and if they keep it like that, that'll keep me happy. You know, Richard, where are we likely to see your Norfolk Stakes winner, the Riddler, out next? Um, we're sort of giving him a little bit of a break. He's had four starts already, but I'd say he'll head to France for the the morning and uh, work away from there but as you know there is an inquiry I did put him in the gym crack uh, just by some shock he uh, he loses the Norfolk there he gets in the gym crack without a penalty so but it I would say the morning I'm not I'm not trying to get you complacent or jittery not neither of the two but you don't really think you you could lose the Norfolk do you I'd be shocked. I'd, uh, they'll have changed the rules if we lose it. Um, since since the Norfolk, and I haven't read anywhere where they have changed the rules. The best horse won on the day. The story and the way the rules are written. He, he's, he's the rightful winner of the race, and it, it would be a shock to me if he could have taken off.
All right, then. That's Richard Fahey confirming the news that broke last night that Perfect Power would run in the July Cup in preference to the Prix Jean Prat. And I think everybody at Newmarket will be very happy with that. Uh, Christophe Soumillon can ride the horse. And he expressed a few concerns there just about if the race gets too quick on, on ground that's lively. Not because of the ground itself, but because it would te- take it, it become more of a test of speed rather than a test of stamina at the trip. Jane Mangan, RTE and Racing TV broadcaster, is, is alongside me this morning. Uh, Jane, is that the right call to run perfect power in the July Cup rather than the Jean Prat? Absolutely. And uh, no disrespect to the Jean Prat, but the July Cup is the better race. It's uh, for himself as his prospects in the future. It's the more illustrious race and he's the best three-year-old sprinter around. So why wouldn't he go there? You uh, spoke yesterday to Michael Owen about Flaming Rib. Uh, well, he comprehensively beat him in the Commonwealth Cup and what he showed us as a two-year-old um, was quite exceptional in the morning in the middle park. So the July Cup looks like it's going to be a good race, but they're going to have to be very good to beat him because... With Sumi on board, he's a lethal weapon and he's probably as consistent a sprinter as you get at this stage of his career. I was incredibly struck by Richard Fahey when I asked him to compare the generations and he, he just exudes confidence in the fact that his horse has genuine star quality, that he's a bit special, he's out of the ordinary. It's not often you hear that said about sprinters, in this no. country anyway. It's not often they capture the imagination either and uh, having been there when he... Uh, won the middle park last year I was impressed with his constitution mentally as well as physically the way he had backed up from the morning having run and won at Ascot as a two-year-old as well he had a hard campaign last year but it didn't seem to knock any um, credence out of him and that was probably just credit to his ability that in how he was doing it it wasn't um, knocking him for 10 every run so just the relationship with Sumion as well. Everybody loves Christoph. He's got that extra character and he brings that last to first, you know, burst of speed. Uh, I, I just, I really like the horse and I think he's deserving of to be top of the market against older horses. And I think he deserves to get a lot of credit now. And if he can back up against older horses in, in the July Cup, he'll be, he'll get the star quality title that he deserves. All right, let me talk about the horses that come out of the uh, Platinum Jubilee because the horse who finished a supposedly unlucky third, Artorius, is the most fancied. The horse who finished second, Gradient Force, is the second most fancied. And the horse who actually won the race, doing most of it on his own, is the third most fancied of the three. Do you understand the logic there or not? Um, to, a po- to a point, I think Artorius lacks tactical pace. And if they go a million miles an hour in the first three furlongs and if there's a you know if there's a little bit of a collapse, then he'll be really suited to that. But he, as a punter, if you're on Artorius, don't expect him to be comfortable in the first quarter or uh, half of the race. Even Creative Force and Naval Crown were split wide apart at Ascot. There's very little between them. William Buick has stayed loyal to his his Creative Force. James Doyle, you know, obviously gets to stay on Naval Crown then. But I I think there's very little between them. They're identically rated on 118. Um, and if I was to have any horse ahead, I think I'd have the two good Godolphin ahead of Artorias based on the fact that I think they'll be more comfortable in the first part of the July Cup, which is, you know, probably... I, I don't know where the pace is going to come from, but the Platinum Jubilee was a little bit messy for Artorias, and I wouldn't be surprised if something similar happened again. All right, Jane. Unusual development from the BHA yesterday, though they tell me not unprecedented. 
Robert Havlin had his five-day ban overturned without the need for him to go to appeal. He intended to appeal his ban uh, for his ride on uh, Free Wind on Saturday at Haydock Park. Very controversial. But they've, they've turned it over and decided that the stewards on the day made an error and that there would be no need for an appeal. Um, I did speak to the BHA this morning and they said that as far as Jim Crowley was concerned, I said, why, why couldn't you now retrospectively ban him if you feel that he was the perpetrator rather than Rob, Rab Havlin? And they said, almost, it, it's too difficult. It's in the too difficult trade to, to convene the, the panel and, then, and believe that you're then going to get a charge to stick. They feel that they've, they've compromised their chances already of getting a charge to stick by not charging him on the day. And that's much harder to then convene a panel to do that than it is to simply overturn Havlin's ban. So uh, there perhaps is a, a procedural uh, difficulty there that, that needs to be looked at, Jane. But um, what do you think of the BHA turning over Havlin's ban in the first instance? I think it's the right decision. And I think, you know, in effect, they've admitted that the decision on the day was wrong. Having read the initial stewards report as soon as it was released, you know, the line that says... Havlin committed for his run into an insufficient gap which was only briefly viable you have said in that report the gap was viable the gap was there yes I see what you mean I see what you mean nobody's pointed this out yet if it's briefly viable it's viable (laughs) it's still viable so if it's briefly viable you take your chance to go don't you I couldn't comprehend the the logic of it all that a rider who was riding in a straight line went for a gap that was as they admitted in their report viable um if that is the case if a rider can't go for a gap that's straight in front of them then even even white lines in the track won't solve that problem um so yeah it was the wrong decision on the day they're saying with regard to not being able to uh, reprimand uh, jim crowley even if they feel he was in breach of rules that it's it's too difficult well their procedures are put in place by them they're in control of said procedures and i wonder if they have the power to make things happen or if it's just an easy way out to write him a letter give him a little warning and move swiftly on and hope it never happens again i don't like to point it's easy to pick holes in the regulator, both on this side of the IRC and uh, over the BHA, but you're in control. You're the regulator. You're the boss. And if you can't make things easier for yourself with a view to the future, then nobody else can. It is just my suggestion. Would it be an idea to have some in-house stewards to deal with appeals quicker, to deal with these types of events without having to wait days and weeks to assemble a number of stewards to make a call. So, Things, this is the 21st century. We actually don't all have to be in the same room to make such a call. You know, I, I think they have better resources at their disposal if they knock their heads together and make it happen. So instances like this, so race riding incidents and such like could be, could be fast tracked to a greater extent rather than have always having to convene some sort of quasi judicial process to, to deal with, to deal with day to day matters. You, we all know, you know, an appeal is called and then it goes to ground because we don't know when the appeal will be heard. And sometimes it's heard on race day in the stewards room itself. Sometimes it gets referred on to uh, headquarters. But uh, I think in the, in the day and age that we're in, things could happen quicker and, and be a little bit more efficient. Well, one um, appeal that's going to have to wait for a little bit longer is that of the Riddler, uh, the, the horse who won the Norfolk Stakes or part, 
past the post first in the Norfolk Stakes and talking to Richard Farhi about that a little earlier in the program. Uh, that, uh, that appeal has been postponed. It was supposed to start tomorrow. It's been postponed because uh, of panel member unavailability. And it has been postponed to an as yet undetermined date. So Ammo Racing, who have appealed uh, the victory of the Riddler because their two horses got interfered with in the Norfolk Stakes, they, Fahi, Hannigan, everybody else, is going to have to wait for a bit longer, Jane. Yeah, that's uh, bad timing, isn't it? Just an, as we're talking about the efficiency of processes and obviously we don't know the background to why that panel member is unavailable, but you would have wondered that there might be another panel member somewhere around the country that could step in and fill that gap. It's it's frustrating and it drags on a little bit further, but I think that's not a case we, we come across very often. Now, the Irish Champion Stakes, uh, one of Ireland's most prestigious races, has found itself without a sponsor, which is unusual. Does that worry you? It does to a certain extent, yes, because the Irish Champion Stakes is the best race, uh, flat race run in Ireland every year. It has been for a number of years now. And when you have trainers like Jean-Claude Rouget or somebody with that status working back, I made this point recently when I heard that he was skipping the Judmont, that he ran in the Eclipse to work back from Leopardstown. I cannot think of another race in Ireland on the flat where trainers of that status with that type of horse work back from Ireland. So the fact that it is without a title sponsor, number one, suggests there's a big opportunity there for me. Uh, number two, if that race can't attract a sponsor, I know it's 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 the joint um, richest race run in Ireland. If that race can't attract a sponsor, I'm worried about what other races might uh, be in for. Just look down through the roll of honour. St. Mark's Silica and Tarnow, a poetic player, that trio last year. Yes, it was a small field, but it was a great race. Magical beat Gaea. Roaring Lion, Saxon Warrior, that was a great duel. But the 2016 renewal of Almanzor found minding Highland Reel, Harzand. That was just the best race run in Europe that year, better than the Ark even. So I, I think the Irish Champion Stakes is a wonderful race. I'm sad it doesn't have a title sponsor. It should. If that doesn't, then what does it say for the rest? Well, you don't need that long a memory to, to cast your mind to last year's Falmouth Stakes, which was a, a terrific race. And it was one that was won by Snow Lantern. But it was characteristic for the amount of hard luck stories in it, as well as, as how deep it was. And one of those was certainly Primo Baccio, who went into the race on and up and emerged with her reputation enhanced. It hasn't really been plain sailing for her since. But Ed Walker, there were definitely signs of a revival at Ascot last time. Is Primo Baccio back, do you think? Yeah, I, I really I hope so. And I think so. She, I mean, I could go through each of her runs since the Falmouth last year with you and bore you to death but could make very in my opinion um, justifiable excuses for, for her runs I think the ground is key very fast ground is, is or just you know proper summer ground is exactly what she wants and you know she um, Goodwood was obviously bitterly disappointing her, her reappearance where I to honest with you, I couldn't see her getting beaten and she finished last and that was um, fairly disappointing and then she wasn't right. She, she, I mean, the, the, literally the, the, the first day written afterwards, she gave a couple of coughs and she scoped dirty. So she was obviously harboring something in that race. And um, it, then it came out after the race and we cleaned it up and then, and then she got sick again. And uh, so she, she, she wasn't actually running at Ascot. Um, I thought I'd run out of time 
and I gave her one piece of work a week out and um, she worked great. And uh, I, uh, I phoned David and said, look, due to a lack of options, I think we ought to have a go. So we, we sort of brought Asuka back into the picture knowing that she had had far from the perfect prep <clears throat> and um and she ran an absolute blinder I, th- I thought i was thrilled with her so you know i'm i'm being the um ever optimistic trainer uh, i'm um i'm hoping and 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 uh, expecting a, a step forward um from that race to, to her next which will be on friday in the Falmouth. And given how well she ran with no luck in the in the Falmouth last year, that must give you significant encouragement that ground and track combined to suit her extremely well. I think so. You know, I think I think she's probably a seven furlong miler. This biddy, you know, and and um, and the stiff nature of the the mile at Ascot is is probably less to her suiting than the the sharper mile at, at Newmarket. And I think a lot of people underestimate. How how sharp a track the July course is. If, if you actually walk it, you, when you get to the, the five furlong pole, you you literally run downhill until the furlong pole. Um, so you you know half a mile of the race is 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 running running down, and then you hit, hit that last sort of furlong of of incline. Um, it is so it is a sharp track, and 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 um, certainly more so than Ascot, and I think that really suits her. And and you know, there's no rain forecast, so hopefully that'll be another box tick. But we're we're under no illusions that um taking on a fairly decent fairly in and spiral and um you know she to be honest with you she looks looks awesome um but you know primo baccio is is a well-bred filly and um you know she's only a, only as far as back type goes she's only a listed winner and, and group two plays so if even if she runs into a place it's, it's it's worth a lot to us but we're obviously hoping for better than that but um i don't think it's going to be a big field and we're expecting a big run and you run Caradoc in the John Smith Cup at York this weekend, who is um, not right amongst the favourites, but not too far behind them. Not a young horse, but one with relatively low mileage. How hopeful are you that he can he can run a big race? He's been such a, um, I mean, he's been such an underachiever in my eyes. This horse, um, again, us trainers probably see our our horses through roast into glasses, but I just kind of always felt always felt that he's better, that it's better to come. And I feel like he's a bit of a horse who, had I thrown him into stakes company after after breaking his his maiden, he he would be a stakes horse and would have always been a stakes horse. But he's kind of been stuck in the in the top end handicap wash, where those races are so hard to win, and I've probably not been brave enough just to 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 to, to throw him into into proper races. Um, and he, he just he always finds reasons to get beaten and and then i just I, I he's got a big one in him and he was you know he was favorite for this race two years ago it didn't pan out i i think it's the perfect race for him nice fast pace 10 furlongs um he's pretty versatile on ground um and you know i just i just think with a real patient ride ross coakley knows him well so um from running at home so you know hopefully he can run a really big race that was ed walker primo baccio an interesting runner in the foul mistakes but as he said in spiral simply looked awesome at ascot i think we've done detorian gosden well and truly now on this podcast jane but uh, as an observer i'm sure you'd like a a last word uh, are you pleased to see detori back on in spiral on friday of course, I'm pleased that uh, one of racing's greatest alliances is back together, and I hope to see them with Emily Upjohn at the Curra uh, uh, for the Irish Oaks as well. It's 
it's uh, it just seems like it was a little bit of a wake up call. And if it gets to the desired effect, as John Gosden said on your pod yesterday, then I think everybody will be the better for it. It looks like Inspired's race to lose. Um, Tenebrism, alcohol free, looks like she might go to the July Cup. Prima Batsy, as you mentioned, ran well at Ascot, but Inspiral is a class apart. I'm a little bit disappointed we're not going to see Homeless Songs there. I get it that they don't want to run on quick ground. They have always said that and made that very clear. She's working back from the matron, of course, an Irish champion stakes day at Leopardstown. Um, but yeah, that's the clash I want to see. And uh, we're going to have to wait a little bit longer. So Frankie and Victoria or Frankie and Gosden are back together and uh, hopefully it'll remain a happy marriage. Just on that homeless songs point, do you think the goalposts have shifted a little bit as the season's gone on? Because initially, Dermot Weld and, and Fiona Craig representing Moigler, they were saying she'd be fine on fine, absolutely fine on good ground. Um, just they just didn't want to get her jarred up earlier in the season. They didn't want to run her on on firm. It, it seems to me that the the, the narrative of of the necessity for ground with given it has become stronger as we've progressed through the weeks. Perhaps that's, that's probably not an unfair point. I think she's probably been trained hard for Royal Ascot as well. And then they didn't get to run. And I think maybe it's, it's been a little bit frustrating for them. It's definitely been frustrating for fans of the Philly to not get to see her, but hopefully when she does come out, that it'll be all worthwhile and she'll have a good autumn campaign. But yeah, you're probably not wrong that they're thinking that the autumn targets will be her main agenda, given that she's almost guaranteed to get preferential um, surfaces. So, yeah, that's that's one. Just with if we have a, an Inspiral winning by six or seven lengths in the Falmouth, you're thinking, where where is her meaningful opposition? Her, her meaningful opposition is in, in, in a stable in Rosewell, so... Well, I think what the Falmouth might tell us as well, I mean, if, we fully expect Inspiral to go there and win and win well, but if she doesn't, it does further take the gloss off, off this three-year-old Phillies group who we were suspicious of anyway at the beginning of the season, weren't we? We were, but we have had the guineas that were run, Cache did back it up in France and she's had a busy first part of the season so she's not there so she's yeah, but that, neither of those guineas are top class form are they Jane there, there's two that stand head and shoulders in the miling division and they're in spiral and, and homeless songs I'm not sure any of the rest are, are, are all that good are they <laughs> I would accept a cash for a present if she was coming my so way would I. I think she's a lovely filly I think Joe's Bowie's done brilliantly with her but in any other year she might she might be a group two horse yeah, well, maybe we're dealing with something special with Inspiral, and that, that may well be the case yet. So she's she's pulls apart on ratings in this race. She should dominate, and let's see if she can stand up later in the year, given that she has had only one run this season, and she should have a fruitful uh, second half of the year. But, yeah, this is um, open to debate. Uh, we can talk about the Colts division as well. We often we do it every year, and I can see the headlines already building up for the King George and the clash of the generations and whether Westover and Desert Crown will get close together again. It's just to make it exciting, but mm. I, I do think Desert Crown is poles apart. All right, Desert Crown poles apart, says Jane Mangan. I wonder what Jim McGrath is saying this week from Hong Kong. Nick, well, it's nearly over. Probably the most difficult season in more than 50 years of professional racing in Hong Kong is on its last legs. There are four meetings to go, then we'll say goodbye to a season that has been constantly under threat with draconian COVID regulations in Hong Kong. 
which has hugely impacted on crowds and also the day-to-day interaction of nearly everybody connected with the racing industry. The last meeting of the season is scheduled for Saturday the 16th of July, before roughly a six-week break from racing. But there are always winners to be found, and there are the Jockeys and Trainers Championships that are expected to go down to the wire on the last day. For the record, Zach Purton is one ahead of Joe Moreira in the Jockeys title, and Frankie Law is holding on grimly in the Trainers. He's five ahead of John Size. And I'm relying on size to get home our value bet today. That's race nine, number 12, Special M, who's been racing very well in class three company, putting together a string of minor placings, which have resulted in a steady rise in the handicap. Size has countered this by taking a voluntary promotion to a higher grade, class two. But he carries a light weight, eight stone four, which will make it easier for him. He can sit in behind the speed, and then I expect him to finish on late. So race nine, number 12, special M to win. Take him in a tote swinger with four, We the South, and five, Explosive Witness, who, by the way, is Blake Shin's last ride in Hong Kong. He heads back to Australia, but not before a one-month stint in Singapore on the way. Also, we'll follow South African champion Lyle Hewitson and his mentor Dougie White today. They've got two big chances. In race six, they've got number eight, Double Show, who's uh, so far a maiden in five starts in Hong Kong. However, is showing a lot of promise. So race six, number eight, Double Show to beat number two, Leslie. And in the very next race, uh, number four, Big Two. That's race seven, number four, Big Two. A maiden after nine starts, however, is ready to win. That's all on the Hong Kong beat this week. I'll have more for you next week. Well, if you were with me earlier in the year, you might remember that I had quite a long chat with Jacob Pritchard Webb about how he was rebuilding his life and career after a fall at Otoy in June 2020, which left him with life-changing injuries. To say that he, he has not stopped in the interim would be an understatement. There is nothing really he hasn't tried to turn his hand to and has been an inspiration to so many. His latest project begins tomorrow and has seen him described by... Uh, Harry Potter star James Phelps, with whom he's been training as a complete lunatic. Um, Hi, Jacob. How are you doing? (laughs) Hi, Nick. Yeah, I'm good, thanks. How are you? I am very well. Um, Once again, your application is incredible, uh, inspiring, astounds me. What are you up to tomorrow? Yeah, so tomorrow is the start of the cross-county cycle challenge. We'll be um, hand-cycling from Cheltenham racecourse to Newmarket racecourse in three days, uh, covering a total of 140 miles. Um, I would probably agree with James's statement as well. It does feel a bit of lunacy to be trying this. Uh, just give me, try and give me some sort of context as to how hard this is. Well, I was kind of probably shrugging it off at how difficult it would be. And then when I went for my cycle with James, on Sunday, we went. We actually went to the Cotswolds, um, and we'd probably done the longest hill so far. And every hill I'd been able to do at home, I could do it in one stint. You know, uh, kind of smash it out. And I got to this hill in the Cotswolds, and it, I must have stopped three or four, three times on it. Um, 
and that's probably only going to be half the size of one of the hills I've got to take on tomorrow and on the first day. So um, it's um, it's going to be mentally tough because I'm I'm kind of a it's got to be done as fast as possible and it's got to be done as best as possible. So I'm all got to fight myself probably to just um, you know take my time and and uh, and not rush it. You know, it's it's definitely going to be a marathon, not a sprint. Um, you've clearly got incredible patience as well. Um, James Phelps was saying that when he was he was training with you, all the cyclists that went past were just tipping their hat and saying fair play because it was rough enough going up the hills uh, you know, as they were on, on ordinary bikes, let alone on a hand bike. Uh, just tell me how you met James. Um, so I met James during Mike Tyndall's Celebrity Golf Day um where he was raising money for uh, the Matt Hampson Foundation which is one of my charities and he, he also was doing it for Parkinson's um I saw him out on the golf course I think he plays quite a lot of golf so he's pretty handy and then it was a a dinner and a free bar so um quite a few Jack Daniels later and about once all the the music had kind of kicked in and and the, the silent auction had finished I plucked up some courage to go and introduce myself as I'm a bit of a bit of a fan and um yeah we we hit it off and and uh must have been chatting for about two hours he's he's an absolute gent um and a keen cyclist so he was he was more than happy to help and for anyone who is is familiar with Harry Potter well you'll probably know this already he is um he's the guy that plays Fred Weasley but he's been a, a, a massive support now two charities you're you're doing this for tell me tell me a little bit about the charities both both of whom have been helping you considerably with your with your rehabilitation yeah so the first charity is the injured jockeys fund who were there pretty much from day 1 when i was still out in france um gave my parents plenty of support um and we all know the support that they they've done for um racing and and jockeys alike you know we I suppose you can't have racing without jockeys and <laughs> A lot of jockeys would be on the sidelines a lot longer if it wasn't for the Inter-Jockeys Fund and, and their rehab centres. And um, I, th- I thought um, you might have seen Seb Sanders talk recently. I mean, they, they help in all areas of, 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 a, of a jockeys and, and people who are involved in horse racing's uh, life. So they've been, they've been fantastic to me. And then a bit closer to home, we've got the Matt Hampson Foundation, who... Um, you may or may not know Matt was a professional rugby player and he injured his neck in a, in a scrum. Um, and he's now on a ventilator, but that was the severity of his accident. And he's there helping young people who are injured through sports with spinal cord injuries in Melton Mowbray with, with his get busy living center. So I've been going up to them, um, every chance I can for physio. And it's a great place for socially as well. Cause he, everybody's kind of in your your boat so it's lovely to to talk uh, about things that you're feeling that a lot of the other people in the world aren't but in this center you're not alone jacob i wish you all the very best with it we will do our very best to try and help you get as much as much money raised as possible sponsorme.co.uk forward slash jacob webb forward slash the dash cross dash counties dash cycle dash challenge but if you type in jacob web cycle i suspect you'll probably find it um jacob thanks so much best of luck cheers nick thank you all right good luck to jacob thanks to all my guests today jane uh, back with me with a tip for you for today
Yes, I'm going to Yarmouth for the 310 and Sea Galaxy should break her maiden tag. The second time of asking for Mrs. Choi, Kieran Fallon and William Haggis. Crystal Caprice is in there, but I think Sea Gal Galaxy will have too many guns in the 310. All right, Jane, thanks so much. Thank you very much for listening. That was Wednesday, July the 6th. I'll be back to do it all over again tomorrow. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Thank you.